So we're really blessed today to um, have Vivian Hibbert with us. Vivian is a longtime friend of the fellowship, starting back in um, 1997 was the first time I heard Vivian speak. And we were, a bunch of us from this church that long ago went to a conference in Texas and she spoke. And then we started inviting Vivian here after that. And she's become such a good friend for a while. She lived in Utah with us. She's originally from New Zealand, but now she, then she lived with us for a few years here. And then um, now she lives in Texarkana, Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> I can't say all that that fast, but um, we're just really blessed. She's, she's like a sister, like a family member who's mm -hmm. been on this journey with us for so many years. And she's deposited so much within us. And I learned something new about her this trip. I'm going to, I'm going to share a secret. <laughs> We always tease her because she always preaches with lists and we we'll tease her about it being some spiritual thing. And she told me, I just do that because it helps me stay organized. <laughs> so if you think her lists are so critical, just remember, they're just to help her stay organized. <laughs> but anyways, come on up, Vivian. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a joy to be here. My this right, right back there. My Utah family, one of my all of America families. It's lovely to see you, the rights here, and everybody online. God bless you. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you, and it's a privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. So Sarah said that we've been going through some of the sayings of Jesus. Is that right? So I said, well, I'm going to take Jesus' praise. And one of his most wonderful prayers is high priestly prayer from John 17. And from John 17, we're going to find seven things that the Lord prayed for us. There's many things that he prayed, but he prayed seven things for the church. And not just the disciples that were there with him, but he was praying for the future disciples. So it was very exciting. This prayer is only 650 words. It takes about three and a half minutes to pray it. And yet it's gone down through the ages as one, one of the most famous prayers. In Matthew 6, we get the Lord's Prayer. And that's the prayer that he prayed to the Father and taught us to pray to the Father. And in this prayer, it's a prayer that he prayed for us. So it, it, they're kind of two Lord's prayers. Some say this one should be the Lord's prayer because this is his prayer for us. So let me turn this machine on here. Is this going to work, Sarah? Otherwise, Crystal, you're going to have to move it. There we go. It's the one on the bottom. Oh, the one on the bottom. Okay. All right. This is a famous painting by a Renaissance painter, famous Renaissance painter, Filippino Lippi. And there's a, a book called The Vision and the Vow, where a guy named Pete Grieg, he tells of a distinguished art critic. This painting was hanging in the London Art Museum, and 
people always loved this painting. It's very, you can't see, it's a little bit dark, I guess, but it's out of proportion. And critics all through the ages have said that this painting is out of proportion until finally this one art critic realized that it was never meant to be hung in a museum, in an art museum. He had a revelation that this was commissioned for a place of prayer. So he got on his knees, and if you get on your knees and you look at this painting, it's a little bit high for anybody to do it here, but if you get on your knees, the painting goes into perspective. And sometimes the perspective that we have to have about one another and about the Lord and this whole 2020 that we've been through and now 2021 and all of these things, it comes into perspective when we're on our knees praying. Otherwise, we can look and be so critical of this because it is, you can see it's out of proportion, the mountain behind and they say Jerome and Dominic are kind of out of, am I supposed to just stay here? Is that the best thing? Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. I'll stay here. Jerome and Dominic are, are kind of awkward looking and in an awkward position, but when you're on your knees, everybody is in perspective. So it's not the perspective of the painting. That's not the thing that's out of perspective. It's the people looking because we look with natural eyes from our natural, from our position. But if you look at it from the position of prayer, then it comes into focus. Um, then, so I'm gonna go through seven things in this prayer. Still not doing it. So Crystal, you're just gonna have to do it for me. Did you do that Crystal or did I do that? Oh, grace. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so these are the things that are going to be in little blue. There's seven things. And this first one, we're going to have a little look. And it's totally gratuitous, the pictures that you're going to see here. Because dear Sharon took two days out of her life and took me down to um, Moab, to the arches and the canyon lands and everything. And so I took these pictures just a few days ago. In my computer, they look a lot more sharp and beautiful than this, but you're just going to have to go with me. So it's totally gratuitous that we would look, I wanted you to look at my pictures this morning. <laughs> so Jesus, this is one of the things he prayed in John 7, 17, 11, keep through your name, those of you have given me. So the first thing is he wanted us to be safe. He wanted, he, he prayed for the Father to protect us. So the next picture, I'm going to show you some of the things, that, how absolutely devoted the Lord is in you. When we pray that, Jesus, take care of me. And in these COVID days and dangerous days, Jesus, take care of me. Well, I'm going to show you how interested he is in you. And if, if I should count them, God's thoughts, the psalmist said, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And so there's all of this uh, sand that's estimated, scientists have estimated that there's seven quintillion, five quadrillion grains of sand. And that's just on the beaches. 
That's not on the bottom of the sea. And what about all the sand on all the planets? That's how many thoughts God has about you running through his head. If I should count them, if I should count the thoughts that God has toward each one of you, they would be more in number than the grains of sand. That is a 75 with 17 zeros after it. That's what seven quintillion, five quadrillion grains of sand is. Okay. I'm going to show you now some of the things God counts about you and about us. He counts all of your days, how long you live. He knows exactly. You're not going to live a moment longer. Man's days are numbered. You know the number of his months. He cannot live longer than that time that you have set. The average lifespan in America here is 75 years, but God knows exactly. Some of you are going to go to 80. Some of you are going to go to 90. Some of you are going to go to 100. And some of you are going to go more. God knows exactly. He's got all of your days. He knows exactly how many there are. If you could just look at the next one. He counts all of your steps. Job 31 verse 4. Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? Um, in this picture, you can't see it, but Sharon's walking all the steps up to this arch. And if you go to the next one, you'll see that I made it up all the steps also. There you go. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful place. What an incredible place. And God counts all of our steps. They want us to walk 10,000 steps. So I have them on my watch. How many steps that we're supposed to walk each day, which is five miles. That's normal. And so I try and get to my 10,000. I don't always make 10,000. But God knows how many steps you've made today, whether you can hardly walk or whether you can be one of these great mountain climbers. He knows all of your steps. Praise God. Let's have a look what else he, he, he numbers. He numbers our wanderings and the journey of our lives. And I love this. Those th three big rock formations to me look like three wanderers. So, so they're, they're not gratuitous. Those are actually there for a purpose. <laughs> but, you know, God, he knows all of your journey of, of your life. That, that verse there in Psalm 56, verse 8, he says, he, he knows all, the, all my wanderings and all of my tears he's put into a bottle. And they're in a book. He's actually written a book about you. And, and here's the... the there's five of them because the number five means grace. But in Revelation 20, verse 12, there's the Lamb's book of life. And if you are born again, you go into this book. And when he judges us on the judgment day, you don't have to be afraid. He's not going to judge you and say, these are all the naughty things you've done. Here's all your naughty bits. He's not going to read out all your naughty bits. Some people have got more than others, like Corky. But... Um, then you've got Sarah, who's kind of not, her naughty bits are not so long. <laughs> but he knows all of your tears, tears of suffering and sorrow, tears of joy, tears of frustration. He's written them all in a book. And when he judges you, he's not going to judge you based on all the things you've done wrong, but he's going to judge you based on what you've overcome to walk in obedience to him. That's the greatest thing, is that he wants to see what you have overcome to walk in obedience. 
And so there's the book of life and the book of all of your days before you were ever born. He had a book about you. When you're in your mother's womb, there's a book about you. He's got all of your days, all of God's dreams about you are written in a book as he's waiting for you to come and he's forming you in your mother's womb. There's the book of those who were born in Zion, the worship, the place of worship. And so we get born again and we get written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you've never been born again, you must come and receive Jesus as your Savior and your name is written in a book forever. And when he judges, he's going to open his book, the Lamb's book of life and say, there you are. And there's the book of all of your days, the dreams that I had about you. And then the book of all of your tears and what you suffered to accomplish the dreams that I placed within your heart. And he's going to say, look at this one. They're going to rule and reign with me forever. That's what the judgment day is about. He's going to call you into your eternal destiny with him. And, and this one's written in the, in the book of Zion, the worshipers. And in Malachi 3, 16 and 17, it's the book of all of those that fear the Lord. And it says he, he writes a book of remembrance for all those that fear him and meditate on his name. The fear of God is not about being afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of him. The fear of God has got three components. It means to know him, to worship him, and to obey him. That's what the fear of God is. So it's really about worship again and, a, and a walking in obedience to God. So your success in life is not determined by what you have or your skills or what you've amassed in life is determined by what you've overcome to walk in obedience to God. Hallelujah. And to be all that he's called you to be. All right, let's, so that's... That's the journey of our lives. Then he's counted every hair on our heads and we saw some deer. So there's the deer. He knows how many hairs are on the hairs of the deer and he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Uh, the average number of hairs on a human head is about 100,000. Some of you have got a few less than that. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. <laughs> The lifespan of your hair is between two and seven years. So, you know, they do fall out. So he, he knows the hair's on your head. So this is all about point number one. Number one, he takes care of you. And so this is what he's doing all the time. He knows your hair's on your head. He knows your wanderings. He's looking at your tears. He's looking at all of the stuff about you. He's caring for you. Okay, you don't have to be afraid because God is taking care of you. He counts the stars. There's no, there were no, we didn't see the stars, but there you go. Psalm 147 verse four. He counts the numbers of stars and he calls them by name. He counts the number of stars. Go to the next one. Look at how many stars there are. There's this scientist, a professor, David, um, where is he? Okay, well, I can't see if that's a comeric. I can't say everyone. Anyway, he said, he estimates that there's 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. Multiplying that by the Milky Way, they have an estimated 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. So he says, if you multiply that by 10 trillion, you get 100 octillion stars in our universe. That's 29 
zeros. <laughs> and it's only a guess. I've got no idea because the universe is expanding. He can whisper and planets are formed. He can throw them from his fist. He holds lightning in his hand and he, he knows how many stars there are and he calls every one of them by name. If he's that fascinated about stars, how much more fascinated is he about you? That's the purpose of what I'm telling you about all the things he counts. Go to the next one. Let's look at what else he counts. He counts those who are faithful. Uh, I put that picture because that's that rock that just teeters. I mean, you'd think that one little touch and it would fall off of there, but it's faithful. It's perfectly weighted on that rock. And there it sits. God knows who are faithful. He's able to count the clouds. Go to the next one, please. Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of the heavens? He knows how many clouds there are and he measures the dust. Go to the next one. He calculates the dust on the earth. There's approximately a hundred metric tons of cos cosmic dust that enters the earth atmosphere every single day. He knows all of it. That's just the dust that's coming in here. What about all the dust on the earth? And he, oh, there you go. Okay. The dust. He knows exactly. You could go to that next one. That's fine. He measures the waters and he holds them in the hollow of his hand. And in that picture somewhere, you can see the Colorado River. So that's why that's the only water we could find there. But imagine all the oceans. There's about 332,500,000 cubic miles of seawater in the entire world. And he holds it in his hand and is able to measure it. There's about 2,551,000 cubic miles of fresh water in the world. And what about if there's water in other planets? And yet he knows and he's got it all in his hand and he's able to measure it. He's able to take care of you. This is the prayer of Jesus, Father, take care of them. And so he knows about all of this stuff that's going on. He knows about every trouble. He knows about all the problems. He's able to take care of it. He measures the waters. He, he weighs the mountains. Hallelujah. Isaiah 40 verse 12, he weighs the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. He knows exactly how heavy that mountain is right there. Mount Everest is approximately 13.4 billion metric tons. That's what they think, maybe. Mount Everest that was conquered by a New Zealander in 1954, 53. <laughs> Many of the books he was from England, but he was, Sir Edmund Hillary was a New Zealander. So God knows the weight of every mountain. Not only we can calculate the height, but he knows exactly the weight of the mountains. And he's able to measure the heavens in the span of his hand. Not only does he hold the waters in the span of his hand, but all of those billions of galaxies and stars that are out there, he's able to hold them in his hand. He measures them. So all of that, all of those things he counts and measures, and there's some others as well. There's actually seven things that are specifically about us and seven things about the natural world that he counts that are in the Bible. But I just kind of threw some together. But God is absolutely awesome and he is able 
to take care of you. So the perspective that we need to have is from prayer today is to find what is Jesus' perspective on us. And the first thing is he's able to take care of us. That's his perspective. I just showed you, I proved to you, if he can hold mountains in his hand, if he can tell the lightning where to go in the sky, which is another thing he does, and he formed the dew in the earth, he came up with the idea of fire and he put thunder in the neck of the horse. That's what Job says. Job complained and complained and complained and his friends and they were wanting to know the meaning of everything. And God finally started talking in chapter 38 and he said, are you the one that tells the lightning where to go in the sky? You must be because you're kind of talking a lot. Are you the one that knows how many deer are born and the day of their birth? Are you the one that put the thunder into the neck of the horse? Are you the one that tells the sea how far it can go and no more? He's saying, I did that and I did that and I did that and you're doing all the talking, but I did that. And so all the talk that we've got going on between us all and all of the fear with COVID he says, I did that, and I did that. I think I can handle a wee virus. It doesn't mean we have to be silly about it, but he will take care of you. He will take care of your family and your loved ones. Do not be afraid. The next thing that Jesus prayed was that they may be one as we are one. He wanted us to be one, that we would have unity through oneness with the Father. It is when we draw close to God, the Father, that we are one with one another. Because when we're out here like this and we all got our different opinions, if we look at Jesus, if we look at the Father, we get closer and closer to the one thing that unites us beyond all other things, and that is God. He's our Father. And so that's what he wanted us to focus on. Uh, the Greek word here means, when it says he wants us to be one, it means one and the same. One and the same. Okay, the next thing that Jesus prayed, the third thing, he prayed for us that we might have joy. Hallelujah. You'd think of all the things that Jesus wants for us, he might want us to, I don't know, bring world peace. That's a big thing. There's a lot of big things he could have asked, and he asked that we might have joy. Isn't that incredible? He didn't ask that we would be uh, peaceful, although it kind of, you know, that would all be great. But he, this is, if you're going to list seven things you're going to pray for the disciples that are coming, the Christians that are coming, and all the ages to come, the thing that he wanted was joy. He wants us to be a joyful people. Hallelujah. And that is a merry heart is like a medicine, isn't it? And um, th there's a scripture that I just felt in my heart prophetically for you as a church. Those who sow with tears will reap with joy. One translation says, those that go out weeping... They carry seed just so they will return with songs of joy or armloads of blessing, the Passion Translation says. And so I speak over your life that you will come with armloads of blessings. Amen. And Peter talks about a joy unspeakable 
indescribable and full of glory. There is glory in joy. And what we're going for is the glory of the Lord. In fact, this, this passage in John 17, it mentions the word glory eight times. And it's a cry. These, these seven things that he prays over us will be the fountain of, our, of, of, the, of the glory that he's asking for the church. These seven things that we know that he takes care of us and that we are as one. In unity, there is glory. In joy, there is glory. Hallelujah. If you go to the next one, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy, and I know that we're not in the law, but in Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48, it says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and the gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies. That's what the Old Testament believe, not Christian, the Old Testament saints had to live through. They had to have joy or else they would serve their enemies. And it's kind of like that with us. When you see whistled up, grumpy people, <laughs> don't be wizened up and grumpy. You'll serve your enemies. God wants us. He insists on his church being joyful. He wants us to have fun and to play. Joy, joy is different than happiness. Um, happiness is based on circumstances. There you go. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on relationship, relationship with God. There's a supernatural joy we're talking about, that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you walk through difficulty, when you walk through things that are fearful, like we've been walking through in this last year, it is fearful. And yet there's a supernatural joy that can come. Don't stop having fun. Don't stop laughing. Don't stop playing with one another. Don't stop enjoying the fun things in life. Learn how to be just like a child when you see those beautiful mountains that you live near. When you see them at every moment, just go, ah, it fills me with joy. Look at them. Every day, every minute of every day, they change their color and they're beautiful. So don't forget so joy is based on relationship with God. It comes out of relationship with God. And happiness is based on circumstances. If, if um, your Utah Jazz, if they win, you're happy. If they don't win, you're sad. But you don't lose your joy because joy is not based on that. So if everything doesn't go right for you, you don't lose joy. You lose happiness, but you don't lose joy. Because joy is deeper, as the king is on the throne. Hallelujah. Okay, the next one, number four. He prayed for us that we would be safe from the evil one. I just thought that little rock there looked a little bit like one of the Star Wars characters. So that's why that one's there. <laughs> looks a little bit like a mean thing, but... John 17, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And so whatever the enemy is designed, he doesn't know that God's complete care is there with you. He wants us to, and it's the same in the Lord's Prayer. Um, 
give us a day our daily bread and forgive us. Uh, uh, what is it? Yes, deliver us from evil. There you go. So this prayer and the Lord's Prayer are kind of companion prayers, if you like. There's actually seven clauses in the Lord's Prayer as well, but this one, there's seven things he prays. One of them in both prayers that we would be kept from the evil one. Isn't that awesome? All right. So he doesn't want to remove you. He could. He could take you. He could put a bubble over us that we don't have the evil one, but he doesn't. He wants us to be able to overcome. Okay, the next one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on a lot of these. What you normally finish very shortly. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So he wants us, he wants us to be sanctified by the word. He wants us to be a holy people. He wants us to be washed by the water of the word, Ephesians 5, 26. He, when we become a Christian, he gives us righteousness, but it's a, a incumbent upon us to go after holiness, which is the sanctified, to, to walk as, as a sanctified people. Sanctification, this guy, uh, Octavius Winslow said, sanctification is conformity to the image and example of Christ. The more the believer is growing like Jesus, the more he is growing in holiness. Hallelujah. And C.S. Lewis says, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. I like that. We don't think that God will love us because we're good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. And so when you have this relationship with him, when our focus is on him, he gives you the power to live holy. Okay, the next one, we'll go quickly here. He desires that we may behold his glory. What an incredible thing. He wants us to see his glory. His, the glory of God, the best, best definition I've ever had for the found for the glory of God. It is the invasion of the reality of God into the human sphere. The glory is the invasion of the reality of God into the human sphere. So it's miracles, but it's all this beauty that you see before you. When Sharon took me around the corner to see that, I burst into tears. When you see all of it around, it's absolutely beautiful. The colors, the, ah, it's unbelievable. But, but the reality, the, the, the glory is our, your kindness one to another. The glory is, is uh, the, the beauty that we see and the miracles that we have. So it's not just one thing, it's his character. It's the fullness of him inside of us, the glory of God. The greatest glory of the universe, by the way, is not some great miracle. The greatest glory of the universe is that he can take an unholy person and make us holy and cause us to stand in an unholy world and be a holy people still. Hallelujah. That is the glory of God. Then the seventh thing, the final thing Jesus prayed for us, that the love of God would be in us. And if we cannot love one another who are different, anyone that's different, then we, we, we have no love at all. If you can't love, if we can't love one another, then we have no love at all. If we can't love one another as believers, we have no love at all. If we can't love the different, we have no love at all. 
And God wants us, this is the final thing of all of them, that the love of God, this is the greatest glory, that the love of God would be in us and through us. And so just a summary of these. Number one, the, the care of the Father, and these are your beautiful mountains here in Salt Lake, tipped in gold last night. I took that picture last night. So the care of the Father, unity with the Father, or unity with one another through nearness with the Father. So everything is about the Father. Our focus is on him. Number three, joy completed when we're pleasing to the Father. Safe from the evil one by the power of the Father. And then number five, sanctified by the word that's the seal of the Father on your life. To see his glory, that's the fullness of the Father. And the love of God would be in us. That's the evidence of the Father. That's the final thing that God, that we would love one another is the evidence that we have the Father in us, that we are believers. They will know that we're Christians by our love. And so that's the final thing, is that they will know, and the world and Salt Lake City will know that you truly have the Father is by the way that you love one another. And so let us be bound to a covenant of love. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter where we are. I can be in Texarkana, and you can be here, but we're bound in the covenant of love. This is my family in Salt Lake City. You are my friends. You are my family. I have, I have a large family in New Zealand, but none of them are born again. And every time I take communion, and I did this morning, I pray, Father, I bind them, and I bring their names before them. I bind them to the covenant of this table because this is their destiny, and I am their priest. I'm the only one in my family that's a believer. And so for years and years and years, I am binding them to the covenant of the table. And so I bind us together today in the covenant of love that the Father would give us. I thank you for being my family. I'm proud of you as my family. I watch and listen to what God is doing here, and I love who you are. And I love that the journey that we're on together and we will always be together. And I appreciate you. And so if you just take the final, you've got to just see the last pictures. <laughs> uh, God bless you all. Jesus prayed those seven things. And I pray those seven things for us all this morning. Amen.